0: This is Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics, the law, a lot of things in between. I'm Jessica Levinson, a professor at Loyola Law School. I'm joined today by the show's co-host, Joe Armstrong, and we are going to be focused on one of the big criminal trials of the moment. Joe, what is up today?
1: one of the big criminal trials of the year, Jessica. today's episode, we are going to take a close look at the conclusion of the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. But before we do, here's a super quick update from a story we covered on last week's episode. After being held in contempt of Congress last week, former Trump senior advisor Steve Bannon turned himself into the FBI on Monday and will be arraigned next week, and he has been unsurprisingly defiant since doing so. We are also keeping a close eye on the Armad Aubrey case, which is in its eighth day as of today. We'll focus on that trial in an upcoming episode. But as I said, our main story today is the Rittenhouse murder trial. So here's how we got to where we are. There were a series of protests in the summer of 2020 related to a number of police incidents, among them the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, a trial we covered in depth on passing judgment earlier this year. In this particular case, Police in Kenosha, Wisconsin, which is a small town in southeastern Wisconsin between Chicago and Milwaukee, shot a 29-year-old black man named Jacob Blake seven times in the back on August 23rd of 2020. That shooting left Blake paralyzed from the waist down. After several nights of civil unrest in the aftermath of that event, rioters destroyed police cars and businesses. On August 25th of 2020, an Illinois resident named Kyle Rittenhouse drove to Kenosha, Wisconsin from his home just across the border in Antioch, Illinois, with the stated goal to protect businesses from those protesters. He brought his Smith & Wesson MP15 Sport 2, which is an AR-15 style assault rifle. Please, out there among our listeners, I grew up shooting guns with my father. I know the difference. I know how these weapons work. So I implore you not to blow up my inbox about this. I know what kind of rifle this is and what it does. The SNW website says the following, quote, the MP 15 Sport 2 rifles are lightweight, long distance, semi automatic rifles that are easy to accessorize, yet tough to put down. Designed to perform multiple uses under all conditions, the MP 15 Sport 2 rifles are the versatile field leader for sport shooters, hunters, and practical shooting competitors. Now, important to note here Judge Bruce Schrader dismissed the weapons charge against Rittenhouse before closing arguments on Monday. During that protest, Rittenhouse shot and killed two people, Joseph Rosenbaum and Anthony Huber, and he seriously wounded a third individual named Gage Grosskreutz. The case is now with the jury, and they are currently deliberating. Now, Jessica, will you please pick it up from here? What is the jury really deciding in this case?
0: So Joe, I think what it really comes down to here is, is Rittenhouse a murderer or is he somebody who acted in self-defense? And there's a lot more nuance, but in my mind, that's what it boils down to. So as we talked about, the facts in this case really are not in dispute, and that's in large part thanks to the video evidence. I think 12 different videos were shown here. Rittenhouse, as you said, brought an AR-15 style rifle to the protests. He said that he was there to protect property. A side note here is that the property owners themselves said, you know, no, we basically cleared everything out and we didn't think that we needed to be at this property, I think called the car source. So Rittenhouse did arrive. Uh, He did arrive with his AR-15 style rifle and After a number of events transpired, he did kill Joseph Rosenbaum after chasing him into the parking lot. Rosenbaum had thrown a plastic bag at Rittenhouse to try apparently and disarm him. Rittenhouse then shot and killed Anthony Huber after he had hit Rittenhouse in the head with a skateboard. And then Rittenhouse shot and hurt Gage. As you said, I'm going to call him Gage just so I don't butcher his last name. After he charged Rittenhouse with a pistol, apparently, uh, Gage was wounded in the bicep, and during trial testimony said he lost ninety percent of his bicep so Joe, as I said, the question before the jury is really are Rittenhouse 's actions criminal? Or are they reasonable because he acted in self-defense? Now, one thing I really do think is worth highlighting here, Wisconsin law is clear that a person who provokes an attack can't then wrap themselves in the protection of self-defense. If you create the danger, you can't claim self-defense. Also, you can't use more force than needed to repel an attack. We'll talk about this a little bit more in detail, but again, I do want to focus on that self-defense law from Wisconsin because that is at the heart of the case. So Rittenhouse, now 18, faces five charges. These include first degree intentional homicide charges that's in the death regarding the death of Huber. These are the most serious charges he's facing. These could result in life in prison, and these also include lesser included charges. Another charge here that Rittenhouse is facing, attempted first degree homicide, first degree reckless homicide, and first degree recklessly endangering the safety of others, which is basically endangering the safety of bystanders. Now, Joe, I think it makes sense to talk about all of those charges in more detail once we hear the verdict and we know, you know, where are there potentially Findings of guilt, where was the jury maybe hung, and where did they come out and say, no, prosecution, you didn't prove your case beyond a reasonable doubt. So that's some background. That's basically what the jury is looking at right now.
1: Okay, so then let's move to the trial itself. What was the strategy for the prosecution? I know that the prosecution called 22 witnesses in six days of testimony, including social media influencer Corey Washington, who was actually there and shot video of Rittenhouse on the night of the shooting, as well as from Grosskreutz, the only person shot by Rittenhouse to survive. I read many mixed things about the prosecution's strategy, and I listened to some of the proceedings myself. At times, it seems that they're strategy would bolster the case of the defense. So how did you see it?
0: Yeah, I think that there's a lot that the prosecution did here that they could improve upon. And in part, Joe, you know, your comment about sometimes it seemed like the prosecution was actually helping the defense. I think part of that came from the fact that they asked some open-ended questions that they didn't know the answers to. Some of that is unavoidable, but certainly this is not a prosecution I think that you would teach to law students as here's what to do. Now, the prosecution really focused on the idea that Rittenhouse created the danger, so he is liable for what occurred. And again, that's why we focused a couple of moments ago on the law of self-defense. He's saying Rittenhouse provoked Rosenbaum, and that was the key moment. He lost the right to self-defense after that. And the prosecution also says, you know, let's look at this time frame from a a broader perspective. Let's look at everything that happened to, that led up to these tragedies. Let's not just focus on the moment right before Rittenhouse pulled the trigger, but let's talk about why was he really there? Um, Let's focus on the fact that he was young and inexperienced, um, even though he said he was old enough to have a gun and said he was a trained EMT, which he's not. And what the prosecution is doing there, I think, is a little bit risky, but they're really trying to say, look, we shouldn't view his self-defense claims as reasonable. He could misjudge the situation as threatening when it really isn't. And again, the prosecution really throughout focused this theme of it was Rittenhouse who set all of these events in motion. Rittenhouse loses the right to self-defense.
1: All right, then. So what about the defense? We all know what their job is. How do you think they did in defending Rittenhouse?
0: So I think that they also made some missteps, but I think they did the best with the facts presented to them. And what they really tried to do here is what defenses often do, which is they said, let's narrow the timeline. So instead of saying what the prosecution wants to do, which is let's talk about all of the things that Rittenhouse did to set these events in motion, The defense is really trying to focus in on the moments right before Rittenhouse fired his gun and saying he had no choice but to use deadly force. The defense also attacks the credibility of a number of the witnesses. I don't know how that will play with the jury. It can be risky, but again, probably one of their only cards to play here. And I think we'll talk about this in a second, but by me saying one of their only cards to play, I'm not saying that I think Rittenhouse will be found guilty on all counts. Not at all. I'm just saying the defense only has so many plays.
1: All right, then. So can you please clear something up for me? Why did Judge Bruce Schrader dismiss the weapons charge against Rittenhouse before closing arguments began on Monday?
0: Yeah, I know that a lot was made of this on social media. And my understanding is that Wisconsin does have this fairly... Vague and arcane law. And what the judge really said here is look, I think that there's an exception. I think that the law is particularly vague. It, we don't have clarification from higher courts. And I don't think that we're going to go forward with this. Now, legal experts said, well, look, that was probably the charge where it was going to be easiest for the prosecution to get a guilty. But again, it really, I know we read a lot into that decision, but in my mind, it really had to do with the judge's view of the language of the statute and whether or not Rittenhouse's actions fit within it.
1: Okay. So then before we go, what about Judge Bruce Schrader himself? He dressed down the prosecution last week, prompting the defense to call for a mistrial with prejudice. He's also responsible for several bizarre moments of his own in the courtroom during the course of the proceedings. One when his phone rang in court, and his ringtone was Lee Greenwood's 1984 patriotic anthem, God Bless the USA. Greenwood himself performed at Trump's inauguration, and the song was used by the Trump campaign in both 2016 and 2020. Now, you couldn't have written that particular detail in a Saturday Night Live skit. It's just a little too close to the bone. Then there was another moment when he was asked about lunch, and he made a joke saying, and I quote, I hope the Asian food isn't coming, isn't on one of those boats along Long Beach Harbor. He was referencing the back Log of cargo ships parked offshore at the port of Long Beach in our neck of the woods here in Southern California. Just an odd kind of off color joke, potentially even veering into the racism territory. Yet another peculiar moment came when it was time to pick the 12 final jurors out of the 18 that sat for the case. Typically, a court clerk picks them at random. Schrader had the defendant, Kyle Rittenhouse himself. Pick the slips of paper out of a raffle drum to determine those 12 jurors. Now, Jessica, I'm not even sure if I have a question here, but I've always wanted to ask this on our show. When it comes to Judge Schrader, what is it with this guy?
0: Joe, I know that a lot has been made of Judge Schrader's conduct in the courtroom. And one thing that I would say without really answering your question is, I think we're getting an amazing education into some criminal courtroom. So the vast, vast majority of courtrooms, we just never open the door and have television cameras. I think the perception among some commentators is that Judge Schrader has been predisposed to be biased against the prosecution to help the defense. I know there have been some comments, as you said, that have been somewhat off the wall and or funny, quite not quite funny. Really, I would just say the things to focus on are, has he biased the jury? Were the jury instructions proper? And is there anything else that we should be focused on that goes not to his behavior, but how he could have potentially tainted the jury in this case? I think there was, in fact, a jury instruction where he said something like, If you perceived any bias from me, don't let that affect your decision. You look at the facts, you look at the law. Joe, certainly when it comes to every jury in America, that's what we hope for. And of course, when jurors make these determinations, we should be careful to remember that they don't make them on social media. So social media creates kind of a weird echo chamber and amplification process. We talked about a lot for all of us. I know we tend to look at everything that happens in this case and analyze what it means and whether or not Judge Schrader is biased or if there's a fair trial in this case. And that's really all we should be focused on. Is there a fair trial, not what the reaction is on social media?
1: Well, maybe it's just a reflection of our society's penchant for being a self-perpetuating outrage generator, Jessica. So now let's talk about the jury. Now that they are deliberating, how long will they do so? Do we know yet?
0: No, no, we don't know it all. This is one of the most kind of opaque, dark parts of a jury trial, which is the jury goes back, presumably they pick a four person and then they do, we really don't know. So we know that they have asked for certain information. The information goes to jury instructions dealing with self-defense and provocation instructions, um, instructions dealing with crimes requiring intent to kill and um, instructions related to the first degree count of reckless homicide for the fatal shooting of Joseph Rosenbaum. Other than that, we have no idea. Uh, They can come back in a day, in a week, uh, in a month. That is not likely. The longer it takes, if it really drags out, then I think it starts to look like a hung jury. Um, You know, Joe, I'm sure we'll talk, or maybe now is the moment, predictions I do think it's really important to focus on the idea that it's not all or nothing. There are lots of counts here. There are some lesser included offenses. You can see guilt on some, hung jury on others. And again, on others, you could find that the jury would find that the prosecution did not prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt. So we could have a very mixed verdict. I think that's something that we should absolutely look for.
1: Okay, Jessica, but before we go, this is a very serious trial with a lot of implications on a lot of different levels. But there is an extra bit of strangeness to this story that I just couldn't let pass. As I was watching proceedings and watching photographs and researching and reading, I couldn't help but notice that the prosecutor, Thomas Binger, has been wearing a series of Star Wars pins on his suit lapels in the courtroom. I first noticed what I thought was a Millennium Falcon, that's Han Solo and Chewbacca's ship. And then I found a Rebel Alliance insignia pin and a photo from another news story. Now, he was more traditional. He wore a flag pin on other days. Again, I honestly don't have a question here. Just an extra bit of oddness to an already odd set of legal proceedings. So, Jessica, thank you so very much for rolling through all these things with us today. Thank you, Joe. You can find Jessica on Twitter and Instagram and now TikTok at Levinson Jessica. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at InDepthDay. Day. You can find my podcast on joearmstrong.com slash In Day. You can find this podcast, Passing Judgment, on Twitter at passjudgmentpod Judgment Pod, on Instagram at PassingJudgmentPod. Pod. Thank you ever so much for listening. And as soon as there is a verdict, we will have a new episode analyzing that as well. In the meantime, have a great day, everyone.